so anti-dumping, anti-subsidies investigation, so-called the decouple of the risk. Can you imagine? If without BRI at the new market, how can you make Chinese economy be double? How can you make sure Chinese middle class will be double by 2035 on the basis of the current 400 million? And also per capita GDP of China can be double. Because the BRI, the principles is uh, inclusiveness, synergies of the strategies. So we are ready. We welcome all of these projects. We are ready to cooperate with them, even compete with them. Why Italy are not going to sign or continue contract? Actually, they think they benefit not enough from BRI. Why they benefit not enough? Of course, the first reason is the COVID.、Mm -hmm. uh, China suffered a lot. Italy also suffered at the beginning, very serious. Welcome to the Ginger River Radio podcast, a part of the GRR Media Outlet, and your go-to podcast for anything about Chinese current events. I'm your host Jiang Jiang, the founder of Ginger River Review, a newsletter that focuses on reporting the priorities of both the leadership and the general public in China, and views you do not normally see from mainstream English language media. If you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, go to www.gingerriver.com and sign up to join our community of avid China watchers. Now let's dive into our podcast show today. Hello, folks. Ginger River Radio is back, and、uh, I missed connecting with you over the past couple of months due to some personal matters. As some of you might be aware, I took up a position at my agency's Islamabad office in Pakistan starting April last year. Now my tenure there is complete, and I'm back in China. It's been quite a year, and I'm looking forward to sharing my experience there with you in the near future. Today's podcast will be somewhat related to my time in Pakistan, as I will be discussing the Belt and Road Initiative (BRI) with a prominent Chinese expert in this field. Given that the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor is a flagship project of the BRI, I will be drawing upon my personal insight throughout the show. This year marks the tenth anniversary of the BRI, and Beijing will be hosting the third Belt and Road Forum on October the seventeenth and eighteenth. So there's a lot to talk about. Join me to discuss the current challenges and opportunities faced by the BRI is Wang Yiwei, who is Ramonet Chair Professor, Director of the Institute of International Affairs, and the Director of the Center for EU Studies at Yumin University of China. He is a leading researcher on the Belt and Road Initiative and the editor of the ten-volume China-NATO Studies series. Professor Wang did this podcast show with me online while he was traveling from Kazakhstan to Uzbekistan to member countries of the BRI. Hi, Professor Wang. Welcome to Ginger River Radio. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really having you here today, and uh, uh, I know that you were actually traveling overseas. Could you first share with our listeners a little bit more about your personal history with Belt and Road Initiative and、uh, the kind of work you are doing now with BRR right now? Well, I'm currently uh, visiting uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, uh, this is、uh, the birthplace、mm -hmm. of the circular economic belt. Mm -hmm. Now、uh, flying to Uzbekistan, you know, also another very ancient,、uh, you know, circular country, and then to、uh, Indonesia, which also the maritime, twenty-first、uh, century maritime circular was put forward ten years ago, 
Mm-hmm. So this is uh, uh, the group organized in celebration of the 10, 10 years anniversary of the BRI and also mm-hmm. prepare for the third uh, forum for international cooperation mm-hmm. next week in Beijing. So for BRI, actually, I grown up with BRI because when I uh, moved from Shanghai to Beijing to, uh, 2012, and after the uh, three years uh, working process as a diplomat Chinese mission to the European Union, Actually, before I, I was professor of the Center for American Studies at Fudan University. So after Brussels, uh, my diploma career, I moved, I shipped to the European Studies. So now finally got the young chair professor. And then when I moved to Beijing, and then uh, the new era began, and President Xi put forward the, the Belgian Initiative. Uh, there is a saying when I was interviewed, uh, Hui Daily and other Guomin Daily says, it seems like I'm ready for the DR. Because my former background is in environment engineering. I worked in Tianjin for two, for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my major was natural sciences engineering. And I worked in the factory, and then worked on the diploma, and then American studies, and the European studies, and the international religion theory, and the diplomatic service. So all of this actually serves uh, for the BRI, because the BRI is not one uh, single uh, subject or discipline. Uh, it's not the trade, it's not just the geopolitics, it's not about culture. It's everything, it's in, very include, in, inclusive. So it's, I, I, my background is very good for this, uh, actually. So I know this is a new era, not just for China, for the world. So I have a long, you know, I, I was the postdoctor of the uh, history studies at the Fudan University. So I know the history of the Eurasia, of the world history. I know the China's, uh, we say, regeneration of the Chinese nation. Actually, this trace back to the Silk Road, and even for the globalization history, also trace back to the Silk Road. Five hundred years ago, when when the, the ancient Silk Road maritime uh, was uh, suspended by the it's Ottoman Turkey uh, occupied in Istanbul, and then uh, move uh, expanded to to Europe, and then the Europeans uh, had to, uh, you know, maybe seek help from from their religions to from the balance of the Muslim. And also uh, the spice and the many uh, silk and many uh, resources from uh, Asia. So they, they went to uh, from the sea, and then the, the destiny of the world changed. So it's a maritime uh, globalization, but make the world uh, that actually the, the development gap is very huge. Coastal areas very advanced, but the coastal landlocked areas relatively poor, including in China. So that's the reason 10 years ago, President Xi put forward the Silk Road Economic Belt in Kazakhstan, which is the largest landlord country in the world. So, and then uh, China-Pakistan Economic Corridor are the pioneer project because it connected the belt and the road, land and the sea. So that's the basically the philosophy of the Belt Road Initiative. Yeah, uh, Professor Wang, it's great to know that you have like a diversified background. I, I certainly agree with that because I was also, I have been in Pakistan for uh, over one year and I have recovered the Belt and Road Initiative and the, the, the CPAC, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor there. It's a flag, flag project, flagship project of the Belt and Road Initiative. And you also mentioned about the, the gap you saw overseas and uh, that's, and the reasons that uh, China put forward such an initiative. We know that this is the 10th anniversary of the BRR. And uh, could you summarize that? How, how do you see the different developmental stages of BRR over the 10, 
10 decades and what are the distinctive characteristics and accomplishments of each phase? Where are we now in this progression? Well, I think maybe three stages would be in the past 10 years. The first stage, of course, is about hard uh, infrastructure building. Uh, those countries want to learn, uh, share China's opening and reform experience. That is want to get rich through the roads. But uh, under the uh, new liberalism globalization, you don't have money, uh, you don't have technology and expertise and engineering to build the roads. Uh, how can you get rich by building the roads? How can you uh, get uh, common rich uh, by building the roads? So China, uh, which uh, uh, actually 12 years ago, China overtake uh, United States as the number one industrial power. China has the most complete and uh, categories of all the industries uh, according to the UN system. Uh, so far, China's uh, industrial power, the value, now is the G7 countries combined together. So that's really China can pro provide we say public goods for infrastructure building, and after on the base of the infrastructure cluster of the industries and the economic zone, and then economic corridors, and then uh, the, the economic uh, prosperity, common prosperity, and the mutual connectivities uh, within country and among and between the different regions. So that's the first stage. During that time, China's comparative advantage, which we had uh, four to four point. Two billion, a trillion US dollars are currently reserve. Mm. So now the so-called the overcapacity problem for China after the global financial crisis. So before 40 years, China's opening reform, which most uh, you know put US and Europe as the major partner. So one fourth of the made in China went to the US market. One fourth went to the European market. But after the global financial crisis, debt crisis of Europe, and then they cannot buy so much. Uh, made in China, so-called overcapacity problems come. So that's the first stage it's about hard infrastructure building, port, airport, railway, and, and metro connectivities. Mm -hmm. The second stage is more about, uh, let's say, uh, high quality, is more soft infrastructure building. That means you need to have the standard uh, rules, and, you know, systems, regimes, mutual connectivity. So that's uh, soft infrastructure building uh, be highlighted. And then not just the two part projects, now so-called small and beautiful projects like uh, Junchao, uh, you know, the heritage, like the mushroom. Now it's 100 countries uh, in like Fiji uh, and also Rwanda, many, many other countries. So it's easy to uh, benefit the local people, easy to learn how learning by doing and also uh, environment protection and the tax income and the in income, all this. So that's the second stage. And now the third stage, I, I think that after the third forum, maybe it's more focused on, we say, Xin Liantong, uh, Yin Liantong, Yuan Liantong, and now it's the Xin Liantong. So called the Xin Liantong, the more from the new areas like digitalization uh, to green silk road, mm -hmm. and then uh, we say the culture. This culture actually is um, now in China, you know, everything we talk about AI, talk about uh, virtual reality, uh, you know, make it. All of this, so make people to understand each other and the digital currencies and uh, innovation, cultural innovation. So all kinds of this contributes uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, mutual connectivities through the heart and the soft and even the heart mutual connectivity. So that's the basically three stages. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about this. 
when you're talking about the third stage, you mentioned about that the BR is not just about economy, it's also about the culture. And, uh, uh, you know, some, some overseas China watchers, they kind of think that, uh, you know, the, the BR is kind of, they call it the new colonialism. Uh, do you think it's a fair judgment to the cultural influence part of BR? Okay, if uh, BRI is a new colonialism, why 152 countries, they volunteer to sign MOU with China to jointly build the BRI, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly for all the African countries, they signed. Mm -hmm. African, African countries, they suffered the colonialism, uh, old one, new one, so much. But now the thing about the BRI is the hope to get the lift of poverty. Why? At least five times, the United Nations resolutions signed also endorse the BRI. Particularly, the UNDP put BRI as the synergies with the SDG goals, live the poverty, empower the people, environmental protection, everything. So, even about so-called the debt trap, that's debt, but there's no trap. No one uh, enforced to join BRI. They can volunteer to leave, volunteer to join, like Italy. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. and, it's not just a, a new, it's not a new colonialism, but it's to deal with the colonialism legacy. That's, for instance, in, in Africa, uh, 24 uh, Af uh, Franco countries uh, colonized by the France before. Two neighbors, they don't have the direct flight. If you want to reach your neighbor uh, capital, you need a flight to Paris to change the flight. So that's a very, very, uh, say, Called periphery system, it's unfair system. Even they're independent, but economically they're not independent. So now they learn, uh, they share China's modernization experience, and uh, so to decolonize in Africa. So that's reason the slogan of the synergies of the strategies with African Union uh, to 2063, uh, the hundred years anniversary of the African Union. The slogan is "Made in Africa with China for the world." So hope of Africa to be the small water factory or regional water factory, like the Estopia, their Eastern uh, Industrial Park. So it's a decolonization uh, experience process of the BR, actually. Yeah, and, and you mentioned about like, there are over like 100 countries, they send agreements with China on, you know, cooperations on the BR, and including some European countries. You know, Italy, the only G7 country, to have joined the initiative is likely not to renew its commitment this year. They believe that maybe their participation hasn't yielded the expected developmental and economic benefits. Why do you think they think in this way? And how do you view the, their stance? What challenges and impacts might Italy's withdrawal present for the initiative's implementation? Well, um, as I mentioned, uh, the Belgrade initiative is openness and inclusiveness. You are volunteer to join. You are volunteer to leave. No one enforces you to do that. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Why Italy? Uh, they're not uh, want to start or continue uh, the BRI. Uh, you know, it's a, a contract. Actually, the things that benefit not enough from BRI, they still benefit. Okay. Why the benefit benefit not enough? Of course, the first reason is the COVID. Uh, the three years. Mm -hmm. uh, China suffered a lot. Italy also suffered at the beginning, very serious. So many projects not cannot reach the, uh, the goal originally designed. That's that's very popular actually. But Italy, because it's a G7 country, the next year they have a 
be the presidency of the G7. So the U.S. and the European, particularly uh, the U.S., now uh, ask the U Italy to withdraw. Otherwise, you are uh, you cannot you should take sides between so-called BRI or the G7. So make this as a zero-sum game. Actually, Italy, now the current government, is very pro the Americans. And, and then after the Ukraine crisis, after Brexit, Italy now uh, influence uh, actually increased in the uh, European Union. Uh, actually, Italy benefited from the BRI, not just from the trade investment from China, but also uh, as a BRI countries, Italy uh, actually be the host uh, uh, country in the China uh, import ex uh, uh, export in Shanghai and also service uh, yeah. exports mm -hmm. in, uh, in Hainan and many, many, and also Italy companies joined the C919, the aircraft projects, and also LNG, many projects. And also Italy can join the set of the rules and the standards with other partners. So Italy benefits a lot, but the current Italy government says only about trade, about investment, some particular areas say, oh, not benefited enough. So this is unfair. I see. Since you, your answer just touched that, I'm going to ask this question. So actually, at the recent G20 summit, the Biden administration proposed a new idea, forming a trade corridor between India, Europe, and the Middle East in collaboration with 32 countries, including EU members. And some analysis see this as a challenge to the BRR. Additionally, the EU has also proposed a 300 billion euro global gateway plan to enhance infrastructure in emerging industrial and developing nations, which some also believe that aims to counterbalance the influence of BR. Do you think these plans are comparable to the BRR? And will they compete or even, you know, have some clash significantly with each other? Or can they complement each other or cooperate with one of each other? Okay, uh, China welcome all of these uh, projects, initiatives. Uh, we asked uh, all the countries, particularly the major country uh, economies, focus on the real economy, not just uh, make bubbles uh, like the previous uh, the U.S. print the U.S. firms. But uh, it's not the first time. This is the third time uh, the U.S. have the at the beginnings of the building back better world, and then after one year of the PG uh, second, now so called uh, Europe and Central Asia. Uh, or Middle East and uh, India corridor. So many, too many, too many uh, so-called uh, D BRI uh, projects. Uh, European Union also have a global gateway strategy. Uh, China says uh, because the BRI the principles is uh, uh, inclusiveness, synergies of the strategies. So we are ready. We welcome all of these projects. We are ready to cooperate with them, even compete with them. Chinese com comparative advantage is uh, we have the most competitive industries categories in the world. So everything made in China, built by China or with China, is most efficient. The cost lowest. So that's the we, we are very uh, self confident about about that. And in China, we can design for decades. Like in China, we have five year plan, five year plan, and four decades. So other countries, Biden, next year can be the President or not, we don't know. Uh, Italy, the government changed too frequently. Uh, European Union, tomorrow, uh, next year also election. So 
those countries that went in the sea, they think about everything China made a promise, everything China designed and then jointly. Firstly, can have long-term stable. Secondly, inclusiveness. Thirdly, they adapt the local condition and not interfere domestic affairs, not put a so-called high too high standard like the private capital driven or green everything, but not match the local conditions. So we are self-confidence. We are ready to complete cooperate with every project initiative. And Ms. Wang, since you are traveling along the countries that have participated in the BR, could you share with us some of the things that you have seen that impress you or some of the things that you expect to see in your next trips? The most impressive for me is when I visit so many countries, they cannot have the clean water to drink. They don't yeah, have see that in Pakistan, some, some places. Yeah, yeah. even even live in the darkness. Even they have the electricity, but it's too expensive, they cannot afford. And may not be so stable enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, so those countries independent for you know so many years, but don't have enough basic actually living standards. We say this is globalization, this is the global village, this is modernization, everything. But those countries still live in the darkness. More than one billion people still without electricity. 2.7 billion people without access to the internet. So when we talk about everything, digital, AI, everything, they still live in darkness without electricity, without internet. How can we say this is a community of shared future? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you know that actually China is enhanced and emphasized the importance of the BLR and its economic and international collaborations with the majority participating nations. And some concerns suggest that this might weaken China's engagement with the non-participant countries. So what kind of cooperative approach will China adopt with nations that are not involved in the initiative? I just gave one example, Brazil. So far, not signed MOU with China for the BRI. Mm -hmm. So it's not considered about the BRI country. But Brazil, so many projects in uh, from China or with China, uh, for instance, electricity and uh, also hydro uh, projects and also with the new technology, new uh, energy. So he didn't sign, we understand because it's a big power and also uh, they should pay attention to the relations with the United States, but we are patient. We are doing, they are doing. So mm -hmm. it's not because you sign a BRI and then the discrimination to other countries not sign. But when you sign the MOU, of course, it's a long-term guarantee for the uh, investment and the stable uh, relations, and also can jointly to set uh, set the rules and standards with other partners of BRI, and also uh, it's towards the globalization, move more inclusiveness, more balance, more justice, more win-win, more sustainable. Yes. When you join earlier, you benefit earlier. Another example is Kenya. They are built the uh, Mombasa to Nairobi railway. Uh, now it's not just contribute two percent of the economic growth for Kenya, but also other five uh, Eastern African countries that need to use this uh, railway to access the ocean. And then Kenya to be the leading country in uh, in Eastern Africa, even in Africa. And then also stimulate of the Namibia and many other, you know, that African countries say this is like a, 
the, uh, the Yangtze River uh, economic delta uh, compared to China in Africa. So we also have the pure uh, economic delta. So when I visit Namibia, there is the uh, very important port, the US slogan of Kenya say, Hamdi Hamdi, that's the, uh, it's a Kenya's law, it's joint prosperity. So it's like the opening and the reform. Uh, when you start this first, and then you benefit. Uh, if you believe, you can achieve. Yeah, and uh, uh, we we know that some people now say that there is a trend of deglobalization. And I saw your interview published by a media yesterday. You mentioned about that actually the BRR represents a new form of globalization, or it changes an old form of globalization, which relies on the trade overseas. From the from the seas to the land, can, can you elaborate this idea to us? Firstly, globalization is not the uh, private uh, gift or to any other country. Even the U.S. Uh, launched so-called new liberalizing globalization uh, in the name of the Washington Consensus, and now the Americans declare this kind of globalization is over, is dead. A new kind of globalization now is coming to force. I think that BRI is that kind of uh, new, uh, we say, inclusive globalization, which uh, changed the parent regime of so-called the uh, capital-driven. Uh, but now it's more people-centric. It's more development-oriented. Uh, and now the third BRI uh, forum may be more focused on the rules base, uh, the development, but on the base of the, the current, uh, the 10 years of the development. So it's more inclusiveness, more focused on real economy. It's more people-centric. It's more uh, focused on uh, the sustainable development. Yeah, and uh, uh, do you think over the 10 years, is there anything that remained to be achieved by the BRR? And uh, what is your expectation or what will be the future direction of BRR? Uh, so far, uh, 152 countries plus 32 uh, international organizations signed an MOU with China, but this is bilateral. So we need maybe uh, multilateral of this uh, regime. And so far, this is just an initiative without uh, Secretary General, uh, uh, the headquarters, or any other, like the BRICS or SCO or something. Maybe in the future, uh, BRI because the goal is to build the community of shared future uh, will be more institutionalized. And then I think more influence in the future. And uh, will your scope of the BR continue to expand? Of course, uh, so far, uh, I think uh, majority of all the na na members of the UN or uh, third of the force, right, to join the BRI. Mm -hmm. uh, some countries, they want to join, but uh, because uh, they are afraid, uh, US or India, uh, regional or global hegemony, they're, they're not allowed to join, but actually they want to join. And some countries, they have their saying or um, their own ambitions, like I mentioned about Brazil. But maybe next year, President will visit Brazil and then celebrated 50 years at the most redevelopment of ties and also mm -hmm. and, uh, it's a BRICS summit i think brazil also will join next year mm -hmm. yeah and uh uh you 
in, in your previous interview, you mentioned that Chinese unique strengths in BLR, particularly is institutional and industrial systems. I think today we talk a lot about the benefits that BLR brought to the other countries. But for China, because you mentioned that for the next stage, for the third stage, it might be more related to industrial, especially the, the digital part. And we know that China is also upgrading its own industrial sector. So how do you think that China can benefit from BRR and how will China be able to leverage its advantage advantages in, in on the international stage? The Chinese people and the Chinese economy, Chinese diplomacy uh, benefit a lot from the BRI. First, the Chinese people. Now I'm in uh, Astana. I visited Astana seven years ago. To apply mm -hmm. visa is very difficult, take a long time. But this time, free, no need for visa. Can you imagine? Yeah. Okay. That's impressive. So it's very convenient for the Chinese people to visit uh, BRI countries. And even in Beijing capital uh, airport, there's a channel particularly for BRI. It's like before, it's like APEC. Right? So it's more uh, convenient for the people, for tourists, for uh, people exchange. And also, um, food. Now in a Chinese supermarket, you can buy you know, so many, lots of the products, agricultural products, particularly wines from Chile, from Argentina, uh, from Uruguay, so far away. Okay, so Chinese people benefit from BRI. But don't, they don't know this is BRI products or results because they didn't mention about the BRI in the, in the supermarket. It's only mentioned uh, this is uh, made in Chile. This is made in uh, maybe in Poland. Or something. So, but this is a BRI countries that we understand. Okay. Secondly, Chinese economy benefit a lot. Uh, opening reform in the past four decades is open basically to the Western countries. Uh, but now the relations between China and the Western countries economically compete to each other. So anti-dumping, anti-subsidies investigation. So called the decouple of the risk. Can you imagine? If without BRI at the new market, how can you make a Chinese economy be double? How can you make sure Chinese middle class will be double by 2035 on the basis of the current 400 million? And also per capita GDP of China can be double. So not just a GDP, but a GNP, actually, as means overseas Chinese profits, mm -hmm. uh, national incomes will be comes from BRI countries. So those countries, the relation with China is like the early stage of the Chinese relations with the Western countries. So China comparative advantage is very uh, comprehensive. Okay, thirdly, for China's diplomacy, mm -hmm. our relations with the BRI countries improved. Uh, for instance, the recent one is um, STMO, if the new member of uh, not joined the ASEAN already, it's a very young country, but even uh, relations with China update to strategic partnership. Even Palestine uh, also signed an MOU, BRI with China. Now they suffered the conflict in Israel. Israel also definitely benefit the Haifa port and subway and many projects. So our relations with, the, uh, with, with, with those countries uh, updated. So China's opening reform, now it's overall opening reform, not just a cost and error. In the Chinese, we say this is a It's a coastal <laughs> error and landlocked errors. And yeah. then east and west, 
both be the new frontiers of opening reform. So Chinese domestic market is more integrated, like the China uh, right, uh, Europe Rail Express. Take, take for example, Chengdu now have the two international airports. The one fourth of the of, of the China uh, Europe uh, Rail Express uh, start from Chengdu. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Mr. Wang. We know that uh, you 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 are very busy and uh, you are also traveling. And I hope you have a smooth trip. And uh, thank you very much for having podcast show with me. Thank you. Thank you, and my pleasure. Thank you, Professor Wang. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Ginger River Radio podcast is a part of the GR Media Outlet. For cooperation and investing or feedback, email me directly at jjing.sisu at hotmail.com or just give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We will be delighted if you would recommend our podcast or newsletter to others if you find it helpful. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Take care.